Um, is it all right? It, oh, it's perfect, sir. Yeah. Uh, sir, let me be um, boring and ask you for your name again. My name is Yuji Krishnamurti, but uh, everybody knows me as UG. Okay. And uh, Krishnamurti is what you call the given name. It's a very common name. Every third person in that part of India, South India, has this name, you see. And, so, oh, okay. Um, there was this, I read this one uh, magazine article on you, sir, yes. where they compared you to the Don Rickles... Uh, Let us go chronicle. Yeah. And, um, it's... Uh, yeah, they have to use that phrase. You are just recording, not yet. Yeah, we're recording. Yeah, oh, I see. Uh, I don't know why they call me a guru, and nobody has so far succeeded. All practically every newspaper uh, interviewed me, in, uh, but uh, they are unable to fit me into the f any framework. Or um, they have not so far succeeded to put any label on me. And so they have to settle for calling me anti-guru or uh, anti-God when I s make a statement like uh, God is irrelevant and they call, still call me a God-man. It's just an insult to both me and God. <laughs> you see? That does not mean that uh, I'm an atheist or an agnostic. Unfortunately, they tag me along with all the God-men whenever they have a series of articles in uh, newspapers. Um. You see the the question which we have to ask is are there any thoughts I question even thoughts, let alone thinking on the part of the human beings? And you don't have any thoughts which you can call your own, and I don't have any thoughts which I can call my own. Since I don't have any thoughts of my own, I don't have any feelings of my own either, because feelings are not different from thoughts. And all of our experiences uh, are created by the use of the knowledge we use to experience things, and that knowledge is put in there by culture or society or whatever you want to call it. So everything I experience is the result of what I know. What I do not, I have no way of experiencing anything. So what I am asserting is that there is no such thing as new at all. So if there is any such thing as new, the moment you call it new and capture within the framework of the old, you have no way of leaving the new alone. So since I use the thoughts which everybody uses, and through the help of those thoughts I experience the things that everybody experiences, there is no reason to call myself an individual. I don't know if I make myself clear. Uh, you said that these thoughts are not one's own property. That they're not one's own property. Where, where then do they come from? They are put in by our culture. Just the way you have created a memory bank or data bank in a computer, 
you are no different from a computer. Is this a, is this something, is this something, is this something akin to what Hegel was saying about when he talked about the racial memory? Uh, so the racial memory begins with your birth and ends with your death. The totality of human experiences are passed on to the succeeding generations. They are not just passed on, they are forced on the succeeding generations to give continuity to what you call the, what was the phrase you used? Racial memory. Racial memory. And even memory, what, what is memory? I don't think even the brain physiologists have come up with a very satisfactory answer to the question, what is memory? So as a student of psychology, I memorized the statement, the capacity to recall a specific thing at a specific time is memory. But that is questionable because the memory is always absent except when the need is created by the situation you find yourself in. It is that memory that has created what we call the entity or the individual. Otherwise, there is no individual, there is no entity. Unfortunately, that individual or non-existing entity demands the continuity and the constant use of memory to maintain its continuity. So memory is used for purposes for which it is not intended. The, the use we are putting that memory is only to maintain that continuity or that non-existing entity, whether you are awake or asleep or dreaming. So that's the reason why we don't have energy to meet the challenges of life. Okay. Um, what have you studied, sir? Uh, I studied uh, philosophy and psychology, and this might interest you. From the very beginning, I questioned what we call mind. And naturally, uh, what you call is a subsidiary or a minor, you see, here. There in India, it was called the subsidiary. The main subject was philosophy. But this always bothered me. Of course, I had to study Freud, uh, Jung, and all the other leading psychologists. And I discovered that there is no mind here. Why the hell am I studying? I completed my course, what they call uh, honors there. It was an exact uh, model, modeled after the Cambridge uh, what do they call three-year course instead of a four-year course. And towards the end of my studies, just before my examination, I went to my professor and asked him, I, what the hell have I been doing all my three years of studying this? I don't find anything called mind here in me. What's the point in studying? He was the only man who gave me a very honest answer. He said, don't ask that fundamental question. Are you interested in getting a degree here, a master's degree? And what will I do with that degree? You will go and teach others what you have learned here. But never ask that fundamental question. Do you want a degree? Yes, I said, no, I don't want a degree, and I walked out. So for all practical purposes, I'm a dropout. The only man who gave me an honest answer was the professor, you see. So I can assert now uh, that I don't think I have learned anything either from spiritual or secular teachers.
Um, sure. Uh, the other, just earlier this week, I had a chance, I had a lovely opportunity to uh, interview Bill Buckley, William F. Buckley Jr., um, he, who happens to be the, um, uh, who, who's a columnist. A I know, I know. He, he has uh, a show also of his own. There was this one question I asked him, and I was wondering if I could ask you to comment on. Um, I asked uh, William F. Buckley, you know, uh, well, you're a journalist, you're also the conservative's conservative. So how does one not let one's uh, philosophy and feelings interfere with the reporting of the truth? William F. Buckley answered, um, I really can't answer that because I've never tried it. He has never tried it, and nobody has tried it. If he's honest and decorous and decent enough, he would say there is no way he can leave the truth without coloring it from what he has known and what he has experienced. So it, it is the opinion of somebody. You see, that uh, we either have to reject or accept. You know, whenever uh, I am in a show like this, or whenever I, the journalists come to interview me or those people, like psychologists and scientists who are curious to meet me. Uh, when there is a dialogue like this or a conversation like this, we always come to a point when that person says that is your point of view, forgetting that what he's saying also is his point of view. So we find ourselves in a situation where we have to use logic, rationality, and logic uh, is power, you see. You are more logical than I am. And whoever made that statement that man is a rational being did not know what he was saying. We cannot take pride and call ourselves rationalists because everything we are doing cannot easily be fitted into the framework of what you call a rational human being. All of our actions are irrational. So when you read all these syndicated uh, journalists uh, dishing out their uh, opinions and uh, what they call uh, the the analysis, uh, the you know uh, whether it is on uh, the television or radio. There is no guarantee that the things will happen that way. We have invested our faith that they know what they are talking about, but you can't be sure. You can never be sure. So we do not know the source. Of theirs. There is no such thing as originality as far as I am concerned, because we are not honest enough, or perhaps we do not know the source. One of these days, the computers will tell us the source of our knowledge, our information. We may feel proud that it is our originality. There is no such thing as originality at all. There is no such thing as, I am making very dogmatic, assertive statements, probably you will uh, dub it as uh, very arrogant. But uh, the creativity that we are all talking about, creative learning, creative literature, creative music, is not really creative because we are not honest enough to admit that we are copying something that is already there. Only life is creative. Life does not use anything as a model. When once it has perfected something, it brushes its aside and it starts all over again. So that is why I maintain that we have placed before ourselves, whether we have accepted it or not, whether we are fighting against what the society, culture, or whatever you want to call it, has placed before us, 
the model of a perfect being. That perfect being is the model of the great spiritual teachers of mankind. But nature is creating a perfect species. So there is a tremendous battle between what nature is trying to do, what life is trying to do, is to create a perfect species and not a perfect being. So everybody is forced to use thought, which is fascist in its nature, to fit ourselves into that framework. So all of our energy is wasted in trying to fit ourselves into the framework created by the society because the society does not want to change. Sorry. <laughs> Another boring question. <laughs> uh, where, where did you grow up? I grew up <laughs> in India. I was educated in India. I was fortunate enough to live with the masterminds from every part of the world. I make sometimes frivolous statements. I lived with masterminds, great spiritual teachers, the rapists, the murderers, the thieves, and all and every kind of human beings. And I have traveled everywhere in the world. <laughs> for 60 years I have been traveling. I have not lived in any place for six months at a stretch. As I was saying at the very beginning, I spent my formative years in India and the rest of my life outside India. Okay. I have known America for almost 40 years. Some fool of an ass created a sort of a trust for me and that made it easy for me not to go through this horrible way of living from 9 to 5 to make a living. <laughs> I'm very lucky. Then, then I, hope, I hope this so that put me is included in your prayers every night. So. No, I don't think I believe in prayers at all. It is not because of the prayers or any such thing. They worked hard and they sweated and then believed that they should make our lives easy. No, they made a foolish mistake. Otherwise, I would have become a very ruthless man. Why? Well, because that's the way we, we are all functioning and we have to function. To fit into this world is not an easy thing. The society has created... I have nothing against the society. I have nothing against the world. The world cannot be any different from what it is. We may talk of a new world order. As a matter of fact, when I was lecturing here in the United States and everywhere all over the world, one of my favorite themes was the world in transition. I did not realize uh, what the hell I'm talking about the transition from where to where. It has exactly been the, been the same all, all the time. You see, my grandfather used to tell me, we must leave behind a better world than we were born into. I assure you that he left the worst kind of a world than the world he found himself in. And was that his fault? It's absolutely his fault. His wanting to create a heaven on this planet is the one that is turning the whole thing into hell. This is a beautiful um, piece of creation. Whoever is responsible for that, we don't have to bother whether God created or accident or some um, so dust and hydrogen atoms and pebbles somewhere there created the universe. We leave it to the scientists to sort out that or the religious people to speculate about who created the universe. But this is a paradise. Everything that you can possibly imagine is already there. If we denied these things for everybody, it is really unfortunate. Everybody has a right to what we have on this planet. We grab everything for ourselves. 
and we have invented a thing called sharing. Sharing is caring. Who the hell are we to share what we have grabbed that everything belongs to everybody? So you may very well ask me the question, what am I doing to change the thing? Individually, there isn't a damn thing that you can do. Collectively means war. My way of solving the problems and your way of solving the problems and this I have to back it up with the most powerful weapons. And you also have the most powerful weapons to back up the how to solve this problem. And we both end up, you see, in the battlefield to solve the problem of starvation. We have not succeeded. I very often make this jocular statement. Those who want to discuss the problem of starvation in this world are those who eat a 13-course meal in a five-star hotel. And it is absurd, I tell them. What a joke it is. Huh? Are you really interested in the world? You are not really interested in this world at all. How can you be interested in this world? It is for the hungry man to solve this problem. And somebody asked me a question, you see, in one of his radio interviews. What do you think of this land of enchantment? Truly, it is a land of enjoyment. But you don't forget, this is the land where the nuclear age was born. You know, don't forget that. That might wipe us all out. Who knows? <laughs> you can be proud of the fact that the nuclear age was born here in this enchanted land, the land of enchantment. If we don't use it right, probably we will all be wiped out. But it is no loss to this planet, you see. As far as nature is concerned, we will be far more useful dead than alive because it can use these bodies <laughs> to increase the energy in this universe. So, sir, after that uh, <laughs> cheery note. <laughs> a very pessimistic <laughs> note. A very gloomy, doomy song of mine. <laughs> this is what everybody says. You are negative, you are pessimistic, you are cynical, and they are easy with their uh, phrases, you see. Well, sir, I think I'm going to be playing that last, that last uh, piece uh, early in the morning every morning when I wake up just to get me motivated to face the new day. Um, so, in conclusion, sir, uh, I was wondering if there's... If One cheery note that I want to leave behind to the listeners. No. 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 <laughs> what? No, not, not some cheery note, but... Not a pessimist. A, let's try something different. Let's try something useful for the listeners. My interest is make any listener by any accident listens to this he will stop in the tracks and then begin to think things out for himself and, uh, not depend upon any thought you see I am lucky how lucky I am I cannot tell you I am somehow lucky that everything that everybody thought, felt, and experienced before was flushed out of my system. How it happened, when it happened, why it happened, has it really happened, I really don't know. But this is something which is not in the area of an experience, so it cannot be shared with anybody. So I'm singing my own song. This song is quite different from the songs you are already singing. All of you are singing. The note is different, the tune is different, the melody is different, so there is no way the listener can capture this song and make it part of his song. He has to sing his own song for his own comfort, 
and for the comfort of others, if it can be of any comforting thing for others. I don't know why I'm saying all this. I have said enough, haven't I? Well, well it is highly what's presumptuous. What's the name of the tune of that song? There is no name. It cannot be labeled. It cannot be sold as a super hit in the market. <laughs> and, and Eugene, if I may be so bold as to call you Eugene, I wish to thank you uh, for coming up here at, a, at this ungodly hour. I told him it is highly presumptuous on the part of the illiterate to go on a program interpreted for the students of the University of New Mexico. Thank you.